0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: If Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is off! Robbie Robby weekly.
2: Mill of the first pass. Let's go! Go!
1: Hello everybody and a warm welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly on United Rugby Championship Eve That's not one of Rock Nation or Michael Jormack's clever new marketing ploys I should stress It's just that I'm personally rather excited that we're only a day away from a new season for the provinces It doesn't be long creeping up in you does it? Joining us to look ahead to the new men's season and to preview the Ireland women's team's pivotal World Cup qualifier with Scotland Following their hard-earned victory over Italy, are Bernard Jackman, how are you Birch?
2: yeah excellent thank you
1: and half man half machine Murray Kinsler. i say that because i was on a late shift last night and i was just crossing the t's and dotting the i's after a busy night of soccer when i spy in the corner of my eye some big news dropping from international rugby players and world rugby who sent around a press release to announce the launch of new guidelines for contact training based on best practice they say and after feedback from almost 600 professional players and this is A big story, I'm thinking to myself, and I could save the first person in in the morning a job if I, you know, box it off myself, but it's quarter past 12, I have to be up at about half seven. We're recording the pot at 10, so I'm just gonna leave it. I'm just gonna leave it to the desk in the morning, I'm thinking, and then out of nowhere, a dark night, a silent guardian appears. Uh, In the CMS in the back end of the site and it turns out Murray Kinsler already has the piece boxed off himself uh, in the wee hours of the morning. So that's probably a good place to start, Murray. It is big news and uh, if people haven't had a chance to check their phones, check the 42 or whatever over the last few hours, could you talk us through the gist of it?
0: Yeah, well, the only reason I did that last night is because I forgot to do it during the day. It was one of my to-do lists that I missed and I generally miss quite a few of them. But basically, World Rugby have published, along with international rugby players, a new set of guidelines around contact during training weeks. Their recommendation, as it is at the moment, these aren't actually um, in law or enforced yet, they, they may become that, is 15 minutes of full contact training per week. Um, you've got 30 minutes of live set-piece training Per week and forty minutes of controlled contact, i.e., with kind of shields and pads and and less intensity per week. Um, these are guidelines based on feedback from players. The average, I think, around full contact, f- based on on the feedback, had been twenty one minutes. But probably overall, there was a, a a bigger contact load on average across the board. So, yeah, this is part of World Rugby's, um, I suppose, their response to that shocking news we had in twenty twenty about players former professional players with early-onset dementia and CTE. And obviously they've been scrambling now to to show a real strong hand in in player welfare and, I suppose, protect themselves in that regard, as well as obviously having concern for players. Like, player welfare is a, a big part of what they're there to do, world rugby. So this is another step along the way. Joe Schmidt, obviously still in his world rugby role, is leaving at the end of the year, but he was part of this. pointed out that, listen, there's probably less full contact training than people would imagine anyway. And, and Birch can probably give us a bit of insight in that regard. You've seen Dave Rennie kind of querying the the recommendations already um, just over, overnight. So it is going to be maybe a little bit restrictive if it becomes um, an actual limit that's imposed on teams rather than recommended. But it's another progressive move in my eyes, really, because the sport, it's not as safe as it could be or hasn't been as
1: safe as it could be and this is a step towards it hopefully being that. Yeah Bert you are well placed obviously to discuss it. I do remember a conversation with you in the past where you pointed out that the contact training done during the week would actually be a lot less than most people would imagine anyway and as Murray is saying there there's probably a kind of a six minute discrepancy on average between what the guidelines would suggest is the best practice and what's being done across the board. Uh, You're also in a WhatsApp group naturally with loads of coaches from around the world. So I'm wondering, is there a reaction from them? What are your thoughts on it overall? Ah,
2: uh, there, there's it, there's no reaction whatsoever because it actually is in line with with what best practices become. To be honest, um, there the every single year I'd say since Ruby went pro, there's been better measurement of of load, and, and obviously load can be contact load or or high speed meters or you know um jumping in lineouts outs or, or whatever gym load so they are on top of this and sports science is is um, developing has been developing all the time and everybody's getting a clear idea of what's the optimum level in terms of you know what do you need to be more robust and to prevent injury and that's the big fallacy as well i mean if you do no contact um you know you're a bigger risk in in a, in a game on a saturday because obviously it's a shock to the body so there's that there's that you know, Goldilocks, you know, that, that fu- precise um, bit that obviously coaches are trying to get. And, and, and it's really important that it's consistent and it's not driven by a win or a loss or a poor performance or a good performance. Uh, that you just get uh, consistency in your in your weekly training and players know what to expect. Players' bodies adapt to that. And, um, you know, we can make them uh, better equipped to be safe uh, on a match day, but also. You know, also not risk injury uh, during the week at at training. So for me, I think yeah, there's been absolutely none. And and I know I I looked at some of the comments and on Twitter and things. I think people were shocked, but you know, this is this is this is the way the modern game is. I mean, they spend lots of time training and walkthroughs and. You know different elements of training but they don't actually do much contact anymore if it was to become
1: gospel birth where it had to be followed to the letter of the law how do you think that would be supervised in practical terms do you think it would have to be done independently because that would seem to require a lot more uh, sort of extra roles if you like kind of supervisory roles or could it be done internally on a sort of a an honours system or an honours basis
2: yeah i think it'll be done on a um, internal basis purely on trust um and I think the players, the, the leadership group in each in each professional team will be aware of it and, and they'll give feedback to the to the coaches. And look at I think the players will understand that, you know, one week there might be a couple of minutes extra um and you know they'll communicate that and, and and over time it'll become it'll become more consistent. And and I've seen this in practice. I mean in France um there's very strict rules around time off over Christmas, etc. And I remember we were in a in a in a in a tricky spot in, in Grenoble, and I can't remember the exact number of days we had to give the players off consecutively, but just say it was around five maybe. And um, the way the schedule w- fell and the calendar fell, effectively we were going to go from say round twelve to round thirteen with only half a training day, and we had a must-win home game um, on say uh, Stephen's day. And I mean, we we suggested that we we do a day. Um, in those five, and we give them two days off after it. And uh, players unilaterally agreed to it, um, except someone rang Proval, which is the players' union, and they were down. It's like a ton of bricks. And I mean, for to actually to actually get caught breaking that, it's one thing to get caught talking about it, but to get caught breaking it um, in France is is ridiculously uh, ridiculously well uh, marshalled, and obviously the 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 fines and the punishments are are very strong, even potentially match points so uh we didn't train and uh, we won the match but um as a coach you're kind of just you know closing your eyes and and um hoping that you get the prep done but look at um profile are good in terms of protecting players in france and that's what world Rugby are trying to do now so it's just a case of of trying to adapt i suppose and um yeah be able to to manage those 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 times when you know you feel that maybe the, the, the team need a little bit of extra extra contact but Obviously, still staying within the um, the regulations and making sure your 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 preseason plan, your season plan is is very very detailed and able to uh, make sure you're ready to play.
1: Murray, big win for the Ireland women's team over the weekend and. I suppose we were looking for a performance, as were they, as were everybody invested in this team on a kind of an emotional level, or anyone involved in that setup. And for the most part, they got it; they got the job done anyway. Most importantly, and they're kind of back on the horse, so to speak, still in it.
0: Absolutely, and and it was a much improved performance. Particularly the defensive side of things was really, really strong from early on. Keir Griffin probably leading line speed there, and a couple of early big shots. You had Catherine Dane with a nice interception earlier on just to show that that line speed was there and they forced errors from, from Italy's attack they're very ambitious aren't they Italy they'll play from anywhere but Irish pressure really forced them into a number of errors the kind of key moments were, were that grandstand before half time or leading up to half time in, in the Irish 22 Keir Griffin made a brilliant tackle there they forced him into touch and finally Stacey Flood kind of broke out and that was as much the winning of the game as, as some of the attacking stuff. Even in the second half, you had Eve Higgins in the centre making a couple of turnovers and some big Maul defence laid on in the game. On top of that, you had two excellent tries. Really pleasing for the pack to get that Maul score. or they, I mean, they were stopped just short with a big Maul and Stacey Flood and Parsons did really well to finish off in, back in the short side. And then Amy Lee murphy Crow's try was... A real thriller, wasn't it? Bavin Parsons beating, what, seven defenders on, on a kick return from a missed touch. Just a thrilling run up the left to show her ability with, with ball in hand. She's such an exciting player. And then slick handling from, from Flood and, and Higgins and Constelline just to shift the ball wide right to, to Murphy Crow for, for a finish. There's definitely, There are definitely still issues there. The line-out had some big key losses again. It's, it's not looking like a confident part of their game at all. And then in the 22, which you mentioned last week, again, they were wasteful. There were two misses in the first half, and I think there were seven in the second half where they got in the 22 and, and didn't get a score out of it. So they're getting into these brilliant positions on the pitch. It could have been a more comfortable victory in the end, but just the boost of it, just getting through those tricky moments after Italy scored, when, when Constantine was in when was in the sin bin, and managing that mentally when we had those maybe concerns after after a setback in, in the first game was really positive and, and sets them up nicely now for the Scotland game, they'll have a bit more belief and, and it's absolutely there for them. It's really well poised with all the teams on five points coming into the final round, but Ireland are in on a pretty decent uh, position now.
1: Bert, you're the man to ask about the line out naturally, and Killian, who's one of the forty two members, members of the forty two ea he's in the WhatsApp group there with everybody. He was saying it'd be great to get your perspective on what's going wrong with Ireland's line out and how is it fixed,
2: do you reckon? Yeah, look at I, I think it's um it's poor in, in in all areas really. So it's it's poor in terms of the the movement, the movement across the ground, the speed across the ground to to find space. It's poor in terms of uh, I suppose the decoys, the dummies to try and get the opposition to beat the opposition on the ground, and then obviously the hookers got a much better margin for error. Uh, some of the throwing hasn't been been great, and and, and I think. I saw a clip actually um they they put up an instagram uh of training and and i saw some line out lifting technique and you know it's probably because of the camera angle you get a really close look at it and i mean it's just not best practice there's another there's another foot there's there's no stability um so i think there's a huge amount of technical work that needs to be done in the in the building blocks of of the line out and then obviously it's just not quite there I'd say across nearly all aspects of it and, and hence we're seeing a line out that is playing without confidence a line out that's playing without you know um, ball security that's giving the opposition belief that they can they can kick it out and get after that line out and you know they're contesting in the air so that pressure magnifies so look at it's not going to get massively fixed um you know in the over in the next in the next couple of days particularly when it's those building blocks that need to need to be done in their clubs and and um yeah it's that was just the worrying thing for me with the camera angles i've got from the games sometimes it's hard to see that side on uh, sorry it's very hard to see the side on view and in fairness, i'm talking about one one example um that i saw but in that example you know it, it would uh i suppose um, justify my initial impression was that just everything is not right in terms of those those building blocks and it's not just a, a hooker or throwing throwing issue. So um, yeah, it, it was a it's it's a, it's an area of concern. Scotland's defensive line it hasn't been brilliant. Um, you know, can they get a couple of movements in this week that gets that hooker a little bit of space and they have a little bit more comfort and then build a little bit of confidence. But yeah, I, I think it's a it's an overall skills and technique issue that just needs to be drilled a little bit harder it's nothing they can't do um, but maybe there's been a different priority, maybe they've been working on different parts of the game but certainly it has been a bit of an Achilles heel in this competition It's a testament to the other areas of their game Murray in a way, isn't it? How often have
1: we had conversations where we've seen a line out dissolve, crumble and the fact of the matter is that in most situations, if you're playing against a team who are on a similar enough level to yourself, if you can't win your own ball you can't win the game and yet Ireland did that anyway, so on the one hand, it is a massive concern because as you make the step up to face even better opposition again, it will cripple you, ultimately. But uh, I hate the term green shoots, but there is actual signs of um, a coherent and decent team there when you're winning a game, in the end winning well, without a functioning line out whatsoever.
0: Yeah, but that makes it equally frustrating, I think. Even if you think about that score in the first game against Italy where they nailed their line-out drill for Parsons' brilliant try down the left-hand side. Two phases of really well executed attack and they score in the left hand corner. That's what can happen as a result. When you nail that line out, you can get your 15 meter mole surging towards the try line and give your backs a, a nice little finish in, in the short side. They're the possibilities and I think that's what Ireland and in fairness to them, speaking to the players this week, Eve Higgins mentioned it. You, you know, they're obviously happy to have beaten Italy, but there's loads of wrongs that they still feel they need to right. There's loads of opportunity that they're missing um, and we're only seeing a little glimmer of the potential because the line out is such a core part of the game that's where the predominant number of tries stem from you know it's the key platform it's an area you work hugely off in terms of your attack and, and setting up different ideas and different tactics for for each game so if they can nail that a little bit more accurately i think we'll see a, a lot more of the potential in in this irish team because as amy lee murphy crow's try shows that that backline is Really, really dangerous. We mentioned Parsons and, and Murphy Crow a few times, but get the ball in their hands. They will always beat defenders. Higgins growing into that jersey. Flood always with those creative touches. So if they can get that line out functioning, even the five metre chances they missed against Italy as well, where your more can do damage. They're massive parts of the game. So you're, you're bang on. Yeah, it's it's creditable to still do the job and, and based on your defence and, and a couple of excellent scores, but it can be even better with a, with a functioning line out.
1: It certainly could, I guess, some of the... Exposure of the team For want of a better term Could be better as well At least according to Killian here Who had a second half To his question Uh, He says it's a much Broader question And uh, it is How do we entice More supporters To engage with The women's games Even in this group And he's alluding there To the 42 members WhatsApp group A brave man I should say Uh, It's a group of Irish rugby supporters And there was tenfold The chat about Australia versus South Africa on Saturday Than there was About Ireland versus Italy on Sunday If a group that's Dedicated rugby on this island does not engage conversation something is going wrong and the first thing I'd say there is uh, I wouldn't necessarily judge uh, a, an Irish rugby WhatsApp group for speaking less about a women's game than about say a South Africa versus Australia game because this has been the way of the world for long enough I mean this is actually part of the conversation It that would be the natural course of things and that's what you're trying to change ultimately and what Killian seems to want to change as well we did touch upon some of it last week, Murray, but if I could bring you back in there, like what did you make of, say, the, I don't know, is hype the right word? But I guess the attention that that game got versus, say, some games in the past. Are things moving in the right direction? How do we actually accelerate that process of getting people more invested in this women's team?
0: Yeah, well, the disappointing thing is that most people who engage with the kind of furore around the Donnybrook fiasco probably didn't even bo- bother watching the the women's rugby match. They're happy to kind of give out about what's going on there and they don't have any actual interest in in the game so that for me is always a frustration however like, like how do you draw people to any sporting endeavor like its success isn't it I, I think of examples like irish rowing and maybe i was just completely ignorant before and it was it was always that strong but i, I certainly engaged with it more when there was gold medals and silver medals being won i think of the Irish women's hockey team when they had a run of success I now count myself as an expert in Irish hockey as well like it, it engages it gathers people the quality has to be good enough and if I'm being honest the quality of the last two Ireland matches hasn't been very high like the air the count has been massive as well and, and that probably turns people away when they when they get an opportunity to watch it so I think it's what you do on the pitch good quality performances and success really gathers people around it uh, we, we know that there's always a, a bandwagon when things get going and a lot of that bandwagon ends up staying when, when it comes to sport as well so yeah like people talk a lot about women's sport and what should be happening and shouldn't be happening often on the pitch then probably don't engage with it but you've got to do your part on there to to draw them in
1: there is a role off the pitch as well for the likes of ourselves Bernard and for sponsors say you look at Lidl have done a, a massive job with uh, women's Gaelic football to the extent now that it's attended, well, all Ireland finals are attended by probably 55 or so thousand people on a good year non-pandemic year and I think Katie Taylor's professional boxing career is a great example now people at home in Ireland might say well I haven't watched much of Taylor's professional career at all I actually heard more about her when she was an amateur but the thing is she's actually massive within boxing now and if you could make a women's rugby team massive within rugby and actually uh, see that team appeal to the more casual rugby fan then things are moving in the right direction and the way Taylor's career has been promoted if you go back to when she actually turned professional in 2016, she, Brian Peters and Eddie Hearn had no idea how it was going to go. It might have only lasted four or five fights. Now she's one of the highest earning uh, female athletes athletes on the planet, maybe the highest earning outside of tennis. If you look at that Forbes list every year, which he isn't on, but just with an understanding what she's making. And in terms of the legitimacy and the re- uh, reverence with which she's held by boxing fans around the world now, she kind of broke the mold for a sport. And the way I think that happened is because, as Murray was saying, on the pitch or in the ring in her situation, she was legitimately good, but equally people actually shouting about her from the rooftops. there's an element of having to force it down people's throats until it sticks as well and I don't know can we be doing more in that regard then not just the three of us, but maybe the sport in general
2: yeah I think the two the two examples you gave um so like katie was was an Olympic. Olympic gold medalist so you know I, I think that that reinforces Murray's point about the actual quality of the performances and and uh, the product and then the other one the women's GA let's be honest it's it's been promoted and driven for a lot longer it's ingrained in in most towns and villages and counties uh, throughout the country so it's it's uh it's believable or sorry it's understandable why they can have fifty thousand people and I wouldn't put that all down to the to the sponsorship campaign but I think in tandem when you get a very strong domestic game when you get the product right you get the right sponsorship and activation then you have a chance right so at the moment at the moment we don't have a a, a vibrant domestic game we don't we missed out on a on a World Cup a home World Cup where we didn't capitalize on that and and I suppose win the hearts and minds of the of the public that's that's the honest my honest opinion i know there if you don't agree with that but i i don't feel that we 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 benefited or took advantage of having a home world cup um and we're still kind of just trodden along and obviously the performances aren't where we we need to be uh so i think it'd be very hard to for a sponsor i think you know the media outlets you know commenting are uh, reporting on it the game is now live uh, on saturday on rt which you know, it's not just on the player, it's live on on, on, uh, on Terrestrial TV. That's a huge opportunity. um And, like, slowly, slowly we'll build it. But as I said, I think it's across those three platforms. Media, this four, actually. Media, sponsorship, domestic. And that'll actually lead to, then, the performances uh, by having more playing numbers, by having better coaching, uh, et etc et cetera. So, yeah, it's, it, unfortunately, it's not an easy fix. I don't see us being... Being, you know, able to compete with France and England um, in February, unfortunately, because we're behind in terms of uh, where we need to be. But if you don't start now, you know, in four years time, we'll be no closer, we'll be further away. 100%.
1: Well, speaking of starts and speaking of terrestrial television, the United Rugby Championship, its inaugural season is about to begin. We're about, what, 36 hours away? Less. I'm terrible at maths. We're recording at about 10 a.m. on Thursday. It all kicks off on Friday evening. Murray I, I just want to ask you are you as excited about this as I am and as, a, as excited as say most of the rugby fans that I've come into contact with over the last week because there are still some particularly in Wales that I've been speaking with even a couple of Welsh journalists with them might be friendly who just aren't sold on this so whereabouts are you on the sort of Bernard Jackman hype scale from one to ten?
0: Yeah I'm definitely a good eight here and um, I get excited pretty easily to be fair around rugby but I, I do think there's a freshness there's a new tone to it there's a new optimism there's a new excitement and curiosity around the four new teams obviously and even all the the branding and the URC TV it just feels bigger and better and it feels more comprehensive it feels more like a a, a really genuine league again the, the, the key to it will be what happens on the pitch let's really hope that at least one or two of the South African teams is, is really strong and competitive this first weekend to to keep that bit of intrigue going and, and let's see the Bulls uh you know put it up to, to Leinster or the Sharks give Munster a, a good a good fright at some stage in the game as as well. That's the key to it. But I'm definitely enthusiastic about it and you're so right. Like I've found people more engaged than ever with the start of what was a, a pro twelve or pro fourteen season. You used to kinda sleepwalk into the start of this and it'll be several weeks before people are, are really engaged with it but i found that everyone's more excited everyone's more interested in in what's happening and and that's a really positive thing i think the provinces will feed off that plus the fact that you've you've got the fans back which is just everything in this sport like the the last year or longer was just it, it's just hard to describe how kind of soulless it was in the stadiums and, and that's not being ungrateful for being there but it makes such a massive difference, and even if it's seventy five percent or whatever it is at the moment, it's going to be absolutely huge. It is, Birch. Your thoughts
1: ahead of kickoff tomorrow?
2: Yeah, I am really looking forward to it. I am um, over in Cardiff to watch Connacht, uh, Cardiff, and I am excited to see how how Connacht fare. Um, and yeah, obviously, then the weekend: Munster Sharks, Leinster Bulls, um, and and Ulster, Ulster Glasgow. Uh, the big thing for me is the South Africans. They need to. They need to make an impact if they become competitive if we have at least two of those four you know being able to win away from home being able to gather points consistently and putting the squeeze on you know the irish provinces the the welsh and the scots to uh, to get their act together i think that's been the big issue is that over the last three or four years it's kind of been the natural pecking order nearly all the time bar obviously you know when Connaught won and and, and, and Sar- uh, scarlet's had that both well, Conners Scarlet's had that kind of superb seasons when they, they lifted the trophy, but in terms of league positions, um, you know, you could nearly get a good gauge on it round one where it's going to end up at the end, and that's not good for any competition. Um, obviously there's no relegation, so everything is focused on performance, winning trophies, playoffs, qualification for Europe. Um, so it's a more positive mindset for for coaches and and players to have, which should lead to to you know, more expansive, uh, more open rugby. You know, uh, risky, risk free rugby. Um, and the South Africans, in fairness, they are trying to evolve. I mean, the Sharks are trying to evolve their attack. Um, the Bulls played some phenomenal rugby uh, in that Curry Cup final to to beat the Sharks forty four ten. Even though they are very much, you know, a Jake White, uh, a team with Jake White's identity, which is set piece, defence, kicking game. Uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely individual. It's just I think it's unfortunate that they're coming here without their box. Um, when you look at the player drain to Europe to Japan um and you know the the makeup of the of the springboks and how reliant on they are on those players who've left the sh- uh, the shores um beneath that there is a, a, a um i suppose a, a bit of a there's a talent drain obviously and and the the box players c- can help bring all that glue together some really good young talent but i just think it would be great if, if, if i think it nearly would been better if we had have gone there early doors um as in the northern hemisphere teams and you know dealt with altitude dealt with the travel um rather than the other way around where let's be honest it looks like the bulls and sharks are running into well the two of the most two, they're running to the two best funded teams in uh, in the competition anyway so that could maybe be um, a big big ask for them but look at it, let's hope they surprise us and they they really put big performances there together and get this get round one off to a flyer when you
1: say it might have been better for us to go to them first, is that from the point of view of the provinces and that you get the trip out of the way, you get the altitude out of the way early doors, or from the point of view of the credibility of, say, the competition because, say, as a spectacle this weekend, it could transpire that, that the two visiting South African teams that we expect to be good in the Sharks and the Bulls get a bit of a
2: thumping in the circumstances and maybe that sets things off on the wrong foot? Yeah, uh, to be honest, my my motivation for saying that was for the competition to get credibility and uh, to have really competitive games round one. um, I, I see your point. Uh, uh, you know, if I was a, a Leinster Munster uh, fan or or Ulster Connacht and I thought, you know, I could go there and, and, and win an away game early doors, which might be more difficult in, in, in two months time. Yeah. There, there's definitely that side of it, but look at, you know, I'm jumping to conclusions here that they're not going to be competitive and I'm not, you know, I hope they're not, I hope they are going to be competitive. And also let's be honest. You know, Leinster Munster shouldn't be fully wound up round one either. So, um, often the first round can be a little bit error err strewn. And you know, look at the, these these teams are decent. They've got good cool players. It's just whether they're able to adapt to Northern Hemisphere refereeing, whether they're able to adapt to the the different style of play, um, quite quickly. So yeah, it's like we're I, I, we're talking is, and the bookies expect the Sharks and the Bulls to to get to suffer heavy defeats, um. But, you know, I, I, I'm going there and hope that, they, that they're that they really competitive. Without winning now, without winning, but being competitive.
1: <laughs> well, we could all absolutely have eggs on our faces or egg on our faces come Monday for sure. Murray, we're going to go through this on a province-by-province basis. Uh, look ahead for each of the four of them. And we've got a load of listeners' questions to get through. I wanted to start with Ulster because we focused on the Ireland women's team last week and we didn't get a chance to discuss... Dwayne Vermeulen's arrival I think it actually happened possibly as we were recording or just afterwards anyway so a week on uh, it really adds like I think a huge impetus to Ulster's season I think a couple of weeks ago Jordy Murphy was speaking with Adam McKendry in a piece we had on site and he was asked what constitutes a successful season for Ulster this season and he said a trophy and I think he said along the lines of I actually don't care what it looks like this squad needs a trophy." Now I don't know if he meant he doesn't care What the trophy looks like specifically As in it could be a Pro 14 or a European trophy Or he didn't care what it looked like Him saying that Either way though With the arrival of Vermeulen They're probably a step closer to actually Making or bridging that gap Um, So The impact of Vermeulen And I guess Ulster's chances this season From yourself
0: it's a massive boost even just psychologically for the whole province you saw the delight of Ulster fans who maybe had resigned themselves to, to this not happening obviously the Nakarawa deal fell through and Ulster had said they were going to look for an 8 it's a, it's a late stage to get it across the line but what a name to announce our, like our most recent evidence of, of Vermulin really is a couple of years ago at this stage and he is 35 so there's that slight nag and concern about what he's put his body through at this stage of his career but Say in the 2019 World Cup run, he was phenomenal, really impactful, really important as the defensive leader of the Springboks. Really calming and composed, and that's another part of it that he that he brings. He brings a winner's mentality, someone who's used to getting across the line and and will infuse other players with that bit of belief as as well. It's it's a massive boost in that sense. I do have those nagging concerns around an older player who's been through injuries. I always do. Um. But he's not, he's not due to arrive till till November as well, which is a, a bit of a delay. And, and you would hope that he just gets through and gets back up to, to full speed. We saw him make his return for the box after missing the Lions series. And he was understandably a bit rusty. But you saw those glimpses of his ability to to provide kind of dominant moments in games as well. So Bolster will be hoping that he gets right up to speed before the start of the Champions Cup. And it is a bit of a, a missing piece of the jigsaw. So they have got Nick Timoney there, who's been brilliant since... Marcel could see a left he's really come into his own and, and will do an outstanding job before Vermulen arrives and no doubt fight hard for, for his spot but you signed a, a world class player a massive household name and as much as anything it just excites Ulster fans and gives them a bit of belief before the start of the season
1: Bertrand getting eerie flashbacks to our chat when Nakarawa was announced as Ulster's marquee signing not long ago and I'm wondering do you share Murray's concerns about Vermeulen due to his age and injury profile in recent years
2: no, I think he's he's going to be he's going to be a, a great signing for them, and and part of that is his uh, his intelligence off the field. So uh, I'm lucky a friend of mine has co- coached him in Kubo Spears, um, uh, Franz uh, Franz Ludica, and, and apparently like he was like an extra coach, and and sometimes that's a bad thing because you know you don't want your your best player your uh, you know, spending the half time in the coach's room, not not really concentrating on playing. But apparently, he was he was brilliant. He was able to identify the things that have worked well for him in in his in his previous uh, clubs or or with South Africa. Um, but also was I suppose able to understand the limitations of the of his teammates. Um, and what would work and what only worked because the box had you know, X, Y, and Z. So, um, and also he was very good at analyzing opposition mid game. Uh, Whereas, uh, so, you know, Franz would send a message on with a water boy to a huddle and, and Dwayne has already, was already telling the same thing. Um, and he's kind of a bit like backy's Bota when he went to Toulon where you were like, oh, are Toulon going getting out of him? I think someone like Dwayne Vermeulen, they're never there to pick up a pension or a paycheck. I think once the game is on, I mean, they're just so naturally competitive they can't hold themselves back, and that was probably my, a little bit of my concern with with Nakawara. It was was did he really still have the heart, the hunger and desire um, to to go deep? And I think Dwayne has it. He's he's produced everywhere. So look, at it. it's not ideal to be signing a, a guy with his age profile, but let's be honest. If you look at the Pro 14 signings across the board, um no one no one was bring no one brought in anybody of his quality you know twenty five twenty six so that's just where we're at the The best players at the moment are going to the, sorry dwayne is is one of the best players but the the players with the perfect profile i e you know um age injury profile etc world stars are going to japan or france uh, and in the odd case uh the premiership so i think he's a big boost um and he won't be as explosive a ball carrier as marcel he, he he's a good ball carrier he's very physical he's very good in the backfield off off boxes uh, box kicks which is part of the game here um but i think his his edge his hardness uh his credibility as a as a World Cup winner, it was effectively co-captain for me in the in the in the World Cup win, you know. Um, and I I just think it's a great bit of business for Ulster and exactly what they need.
0: Just just on, just in this kind of area as well, it's absolutely brilliant to sign world class top names and and excite the fans that way. But there's also an onus increasingly on Ulster each year to produce more of their own homegrown forwards of a top class caliber. Like Ian Henderson is probably the, the only one in recent times who's got right to that high level with Ireland and been a starter and pushed onto a line store. You'd hope someone like David McCann might be in that bracket to push through because they really need a a batch of, of forwards there driving things on. I suppose that is one of the, the question marks this season. There's an undoubted talent out the back line. Like you could list two really classy, exciting backlines there, but it's the consistency of application up front being a Able to get on top of opposition and and grind them a little bit more in that area. That that's really key. Vermunal vermunal will absolutely help with that come november and, and onwards but it's more than about just one player and, and they need to keep working hard in that pipeline to get a couple more of their own homegrown
1: guys through that i'd say partially answers Ono o'sullivan's question here bernard which is where do ulster need to make up the ground against leinster uh, their depth is looking good and they have game winners across the, play- the pitch now so in which specific areas do they need to improve
2: yeah, I thought um, I did something with Jordy Murphy for for the launch, and he identif he said that they identified fitness as as a big issue. That when they look back at those big games that they lost, there was periods not long, three minutes, four minutes, where they just knocked off, whether that was physical uh, fatigue or mental fatigue, and the likes of Leinster capitalizing. That. And that's the big thing about Leinster that people don't don't maybe understand is that they're able to. They're able they're quite robotic in terms of the level of intensity they're able to play for from zero to eighty minutes and they've you know they make mistakes, etc. But they don't really double down those mistakes and um and, and some of that is down to their, their conditioning levels and, and um and Jordi it was interesting that Jordi identified that. Dan does want to play a high tempo game. Um and I think that's the key for Ulster. They don't have that dominant front five as of yet, so they, they have to box clever. But yeah, I I just think they're not far away. Like they they have been for me you know, um, probably closer to Leinster than than Munster in the pro in the Pro Fourteen, um, and they just when it comes to the crunch against Leinster, in particular, they they've had those little moments of of indecision of of inaccuracies, which they put down to fitness, and I'm sure it's not just fitness, but it was interesting that that's the area that they're really focused on this preseason.
0: That's fascinating because I was gonna gonna add that like they've had the, and I've mentioned before in the pod around Ulster they've got had this habit in the bigger games of making back-to-back or even back-to-back-to-back errors. Whereas someone like Leinster are really good at potentially making an error and then immediately resetting and winning the next moment for, for using a, a cliche. And I know it's an awful one, but they're really good at that. They just erase the memory of that error and, and they get on. Whereas also you've seen maybe a bad box kick followed by a mall penalty concession and then suddenly the opposition are in their 22 and, and someone misses a tackle and, and it's a score and then the game is completely swung. Like it can be the it can be literally ninety second passage and it costs a game. So that's a really interesting insight. Maybe it's the fitness, a fitness, a little bit of mental element as well. But I agree with Birch, like there's so much to be excited about in that squad. There's so much game breaking talent, um, as the question put it. Like Robert Balacoon, we saw his debut try for Ireland, the d- damage he can do. Hopefully will Addison I know he's got an injury this week, but hopefully he can get a run now in, in the back line where I could go through so many other names,
1: but there's just loads of ability there. Bert, when you say that you feel Ulster have been closer to Leinster than Munster in the Pro 14, are we talking like literally on the scoreboard or in recent seasons or just in terms of sort of uh, competitiveness and quality even?
2: I've just being consistently uh, up there and um, yeah, I take consistency. I don't know, quality wise, look, it, I wouldn't, it'd be a big ass to choose one or the other i think they're quite evenly matched their their best first fifth the best 15 uh, particularly now because i think that that young batch of of ulster backs i think are are ready to come of age i think that's the difference this year i mean you know we saw playing for ireland uh, you know uh over the summer series i know it's a lot of focus on the lines but when you look back at those games the ulster contingent uh really did well and i think they're going to go back and i think dan is Dan has um, had, to, had to suffer to a certain extent in terms of getting those guys to, to 10, 15 pro games. Um, and you have to be tolerant of, of those errors. You have to let them develop. Um, and I think that they have developed now. And, and now they've gone from, from being Ulster Pro 14 regulars to Ulster Champions Cup regulars to Ireland internationals. And I'm not saying that they're all going to start for Ireland in, in in a first choice 15, but they are. they're very, very close now. So I think that Ulster have develop better squad depth through their own development system um, and it was a great crop of, of young players so um it, you know it's it's very difficult to to develop players who don't have that natural athleticism or, or or game game sense they have i do agree with murray that the front five they need to get a couple more of those but i think in a front five you know they're not a million miles off it and you can drill a front five you can you know, you can get them to be better in terms of their collective work, better technically, and you know, as long as you have the power element, and I think with Hendo, with Vermeulen, with Timoney, uh, with Jordy Murphy, etc., they they have enough of that. They've enough bang in collisions to um, to be to be able to go toe to toe with the big with the heavyweights. Um, I don't think they're a million miles away, and I, I would say I would say they've done a better job developing those youngsters than Ulster have, or sorry, than Munster have. And um, I know we've spoken that before, but you know they've they've managed to get reasonable results, um, and also still give game time. Whereas, you know, Munster have obviously got reasonable results, but I think they've held back to they'd be too conservative with with some of those youngsters, um, that we've spoken about before, and we know are in their in their in their development system now.
1: Would you go along with that, Murray? Yeah, I, I do.
0: I do think they're in good shape, moving in the right direction. They've got a more than enough quality to have a home quarter final, let's say, in the URC. I think they're playing Clermont and Northampton in the Champions Cup. That's manageable. That They should be beating those teams and advancing through there. So, yeah, there's there's plenty to be excited about and positive about. Everyone obviously can't win trophies every single season, but they will be in the mix, absolutely. They were a little bit unfortunate with the format of how we ended up with the Pro 14 last season and not being able to go on in, in, in and in a challenge in a, in a playoff setting. So they'll be excited to get back to that level. And I think they're moving in the right direction.
1: Let's chat about Leinster, the champions and the team that the other three will need to probably knock off if they are going to break their own trophy ducks this season. Uh, We have loads of questions from listeners in here and they're all incredibly specific. So just to speak about them in broader terms, to begin with, stick with yourself, Murray. Uh, we're kind of speaking about the URC here and we know that in reality if Leinster are at their best uh, within the context of that competition they should probably win it again even with the South African teams. We'll see how that plays out obviously. But um, I guess in Leinster the broader context in terms of their own aspirations is to compete again in Europe and like really properly compete. And it's been a while now um, and every year there's been sort of reasons for it like an underperformance in a big game as they see it and yet... There was probably actually a discrepancy or a disparity in overall quality, not a massive one, but between them and La Rochelle on the day in Europe last season. So where are the areas in which Leinster need to improve in order to take that next step in their own journey, this Leinster team?
0: I think they've probably spoken a bit about that tight five dominance as well and, and nailing that in the biggest games against La Rochelle and Saracens not having a set piece disaster as they did in that quarter-final, it seems like, ages ago against Sarries in in the Champions Cup. Um, and then La Rochelle, when they felt that guys like Skelton just were the dominant figures in, in that knockout clash again. Like, not not much is going to change in Leinster. The the key to all this is consistency. The best teams, the best organisations, they do the same things and the simple things really, really well over the course of a number of years. And even the squad doesn't have a huge number of changes Scott Fardy is is retired, but there's always another layer of, of players coming up through that. And and that's probably the the step now is is guys like Ryan Baird, Dan Sheehan, those kind of guys becoming more prominent in, in match day 23s and even starting teams in the in the bigger clashes and not just in, in the URC. So it's I suppose getting that continuous progression of your squad as well as tactically as well. As Stuart Lancaster is a very clever guy and, and and Leo Cullen is probably underrated in that regard as well. They're intelligent it in and making the game work for them. They've got new challenges now. They're, they're pick and jam game in the in the opposition twenty two with the new laws around the, the goal line dropout and being held up. There's gonna to have to be tweaks there. The fifty twenty two, you've no doubt that they'll have clever tactics and understanding of that to absolutely exploit exploit that for for all it's worth. Um so yeah, it, it may not be a complete departure from what they've been doing, but it's about getting incrementally better in all the areas that they're already excellent in.
1: There's a question here, I guess, about the next generation or one of a lost generation now. Bernard from uh, Jonathan Fitzpatrick, he was wondering, do you have any background on Lucas Bertie Newman's move to Bristol? Has he uh, he has to be a bit of a loss for the Leinster Academy and the Irish setup? Says Jonathan, especially after Carl Martin took a move to Montpellier next year too
2: last year yeah. so i'm yeah i'm um unfortunately i'm involved in this uh so dun, dun, dun. uh yeah so i coached him in school i coached him in school with, with johnny murphy um in my opinion he he left school uh in may um as a 17 year old so he could have done another year he was eligible next year for the for the Leinster schools again um, but because of family uh, circumstances he finished at the same time as his older brother um he's a kid from Chile he came to Newbridge uh as a as a 14 year old and played on the junior cup team basically got Newbridge to a junior cup final on his own a one man show uh and i i would say he's the most talented he's the most talented school kid um i've seen in the last 20 years okay uh uh so i i'm really disappointed that there wasn't a place for him in the in the Leinster system um but the problem is and this is the challenge now for Leinster so Leinster have have created a model which works incredibly well for Leinster and particularly the demographic of players that that they tend to get 90% of their um their talent pool from in that they they don't make a decision on on an academy spot until usually unless you know you're really really exceptional and they're trying to make those those exceptional cases less and less so they they put you into a sub academy when you leave school and the theory is you do two years in the sub academy, um, in Donnybrook, and at the end of those two years, when the under twenties have played, uh, and if obviously that's your that's your year to be in the under twenties selection. At the end of that, then they are or during that season they make your mind up at who are going to offer, and after that, the other provinces can then come in and and look to pick up the players who have missed out. So Connor have done very well over the last couple of years of. Being able to get players that didn't make the, the Leinster academy, and this year they've picked up uh, Josh O'Connor, uh, Sam Milo, um, et cetera, and that's that's natural because Leinster can't take everybody into their into their academy. But the the issue is if you've got a if you've got a set, it's the only place in the world I know that only make decisions uh, at twenty about academies. And and my counter argument to that is, is the fact that if you go into an academy at twenty, you're coming out of an academy at twenty three, it's a short career. You know, it, it's a it's a short career and you probably need to have uh, financial support from family to get you to 23. Um, and that's a big ask for, for a lot of a lot of people. It's not simple. And I think, um, you know, so my argument and also Leinster have exclusive uh, or a monopoly on every single kid that comes out of school. There's very little poaching from Munster, Connacht or Ulster at 18, right? So they, you know, Leinster seem to have a, a free run at those kids, so they can have a huge amount of kids in in the system and make a decision at 20, which is great for Leinster because at 20 you should have a lot better idea what what that player's uh, probably maximum is at rather than at 18. It's a it's more of a guess because you have two two years worth of development, you have two years looking at them in the academy. So anyway, long story short, Pat Lamb and Rob Baxter, uh, or Pat Lamb in particular. Um, heard about Bertie and offered him a, a month's trial and he's gone over there and he's done very well and he signed a, a three plus one contract so three years plus another year optional for both parties and yeah he's he's uh I, I think he's a big loss uh, to Leinster purely because he's very different to the normal player in our in our pathway so I remember when Gordon Darcy came out of school you know he was exceptional you know rob carney came out of school he was exceptional you know james ryan came out of school um, he was exceptional my vintage my year was uh, ogara stringer frankie sheen came out of cork i played against them all the way through under 13s you knew that they well i i certainly felt playing against them that they were had a, you know the potential to play for ireland and, and my opinion this kid was diff is is that good plus he has a skill set that you, you it's very hard to coach i mean he's got he's got vision he's got offload ability he's got footwork He's nearly a Polynesian type prototype um in you know uh in terms of his footwork and his um his offloading ability. So I, I would have thought he was someone that they needed to to try and keep um and put kid gloves around him. It didn't it didn't happen. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of wastage in Leinster. The the system is 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 in a tricky place at the moment. I mean the the Leinster development team got beaten sixty-seven-seven by by Connacht last weekend. I know Connacht had some some older players, but they had a lot of guys who were let go by Leinster, um, at A level over the last year. I've watched a good bit of Leinster stuff. You know, it, it certainly isn't dominant, uh, and the problem is when you're not beating those teams, you know, in the uh, regularly at A level, they then get belief when they become senior players. So, I just think, look at it. Obviously, Leinster's argument is there's only so many spots. My argument is, um, if you see someone who's unbelievably talented you need to try and make sure that you keep that player in your system and uh, I, I do think and maybe and Leinster would say well, I'm, a, I'm alone in this Um, I think Pat Lamb thinks it Conor McPhillips thinks it now uh, so uh, most people who played against him in school all his peers who are now playing with players you know in that position in, in, in the Leinster underage can't believe it. he he hasn't been kind of fast-tracked and that's just life that's it you you, you win or lose but from my point of view for Lucas Bertie Newman he now has security of having three years where he's getting paid, where he's in a professional environment, where he's training with, you know, Semio Draga, Charles Pioto, where he has medical, uh, top medical, top SNC. Um He has an under-18s league this year to play in, and he actually played yesterday against Bat, Um And I had a, a friend of mine who's an agent at the match, and Bath were 21-0 up, 28 nil up, and Lucas turned it on, scored a try from 60 minutes, and got a last-minute drop goal to win 29-28. It's under-18s, but it's BAT's academy who are all contracted you know, he's in a Bristol Academy, um, so he has he has something that I think is is rare. And look, he he mightn't come true, but he, I I do think he's a loss because because of his X factor. And uh, those lads are, are, are despite all the numbers, those X factor players are rare. And from a Leinster point of view, they've now lost um, a young kid to uh, Montpellier, Carl Martin, who basically felt well, there was nothing for him here, so he went to Montpellier on a on a on a three-year Esport contract. They've lost Will Hickey. From St. Michael's, who was the outstanding back row of his generation. I know there's a lot of back rows, but he's gone to Ospreys on a senior academy contract. Um, there's a young kid, Grogan, from Culline, cool who I believe is going to po. Um There's a kid, O'Hara, who's going to AFL. And I, I do think that you know players who players are looking around, going, "Can I afford to spend two years in a sub academy?" Sorry, players who have options. Um, obviously the players who don't have options are locked into their studies. Aren't going to leave, so they are. You know, there's a there's a certain safety in that. But the players who have options are now are now looking at those options. And the reality is, you know, if you want to be a professional rugby player, um, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And um, it's about getting into an environment where you're one of 15 instead of one of 50. You know, and you have the financial payment of being of, of having a contract, which is obviously going to give you a better chance. I, I believe it gives you a better chance because you're in if you're in academy in in the Ospreys, you're training with a senior team. If you're in a sub academy in Leinster, you're training with a sub academy. And you know, that access to the top coaches. Let's be honest, top coaches aren't coaching in academies. They're to- coaching in, in the pro level. So that automatically gives you a better chance. You're also training with Alwyn Jones if you're if you're in the, in the senior academy in in the Ospreys if where so that's the challenge now for Leinster to to see if the model is still Brilliant, uh, and it's I'm, it's still very good, but can it be better? That's the question I would say. You know, I, I hate to see a a really, really talented schoolboy leave and have a have a role to play in it because my advice to Lucas Bertie Newman was you can't turn down a three-year contract in Bristol to spend two years in a subacademy, you know. So that's just but that's the real that, that that that's that story. So yeah, I, I'm biased because I know him very well. I coached him, um, but I also I think because I know him very well and coached him. I hopefully know more about him and, and and could see could see his talent. I have
1: a feeling we'll probably return to that topic a couple of times this season and maybe as it applies to Bertie Newman a few times in the next couple of years all going well for him. We wish him well with his move, naturally enough. Uh, to speak of options, actually, Bernard, and I know you need to take a breath there, but I did want to ask you as well about Leinster's front row and a potential reshuffle there. It's something you touched upon on Twitter only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Keane Healy potentially doing a bit of work at Tidehead. Is that happening? Do we know? What's the story?
2: Well, look, it definitely happened. Um, and uh, he went quite well there, as you would, wouldn't be surprised. I mean, a player of his power experience, craftiness, you know, could adapt. It could give him a new lease of life, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, especially with Porter moving back to, to Loosehead. You know, from a lesser point of view, it gives you Porter, Kelleher furlong. That's a European Cup winning front row, um, in my opinion, uh, with Healy there, who's obviously not holding anyone back by any manner of means. But um, if Keane, with Furlong being, you know, obviously in Lions duty, um, with a couple of injuries, if he could do a job at tight head, um, I think that'd be a big boost to Leinster. and obviously still being able to to play at loose head. So I think they just tried him out. It looked good. Um, it looked good, and it's something that well, I'm not saying it's going to happen, um, but certainly. It was taught about and, and the ne- there has been no negative reaction to it from the player or from, from what he's done at training.
1: Interesting. You mentioned Dan Sheehan earlier, Murray. And there was a question here actually specifically about Sheehan from Owen Hanson on Twitter. He was wondering, is Sheehan someone who could push through to make the November squad for Ireland? He was extremely impressive versus Harlequins. That's in Leinster's pre-season game. And like Kelleher, is another extremely dynamic, powerful hooker around the park. What are your thoughts there?
0: I think he's so much potential and an excellent athlete. Obviously, he's a, a different shape to, to some hooker. He's taller at 6'3", isn't he? But he's a big, heavy guy. He's explosive, really good carrier. Clever around the ruck with those little pick and jams and, and snipes over the top of it. And definitely has a, a, a nice skill level to his game as well. The, the line-out throw, I think his actual technique and his his action is is really nice to watch. And and when he nails them, he, he's a beautiful thrower obviously there are going to be challenges around being consistent with that around the set piece as well as you adapt to, to more senior rugby around november maybe it might be a little bit early the, the tricky bit now is you don't have those champions cup games in october as you previously did and that's probably a real proving ground to to take that step onto onto test level that's a challenge for him i think is to get into those european minutes and, and rack them up and, and get more exposure to the top teams because he's looked really, really good against the likes of Zebra and Benetton and a few other good teams in, in the Pro 14 as it was then. I think there's loads of additional potential there and he seems to have the the attitude to, to go along with it. So I would not be surprised to see him push into the Ireland mix, maybe a little bit further down the road. Farrell's been quite consistent with, with Herring and Kelleher and Heffernan and he definitely likes that dynamic type of of Hooker and and she and definitely fits the bill there, so certainly one to watch for for the course of this season.
1: One here from our friend Michael Halpenny who in another life I think was a rugby journalist or at least could be now if he didn't have probably a better job. If we're honest, <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Murray, <Mer. laughs> but he has he has been crunching some serious numbers about Rhys Ruddock. So he says, looking at their website, Leinster played 26 matches last season. Ruddock played in 15 of them, starting 14. So of those 15 matches Leinster won 14 with the exception being the La Rochelle match when he went off injured at a point when Leinster were leading and he had played a crucial role in establishing that lead. Of the other 11 matches Leinster won 7 and lost 4 so that's uh, of the 11 that Ruddock wasn't involved in uh, one of which was the Munster game where Leinster picked a second string side admittedly. He says I haven't done the analysis for other players so I'm leaving myself open to accusations of cherry picking stats but he did have a phenomenal season last year, uh, deservedly, in my opinion, earning a recall to the Irish team. And I'm wondering if he might be one of the keys to Leinster's season. I'm not at all sure that he's going to be in any match day 23s for Ireland, so if he's fit, he should play a lot for Leinster. Josh Murphy is next in line, and I hope that he can build on that, but I don't think that he offers the same brute force and go-forward that Ruddock does. Those stats are phenomenal, Birch, and the curious case of Rhys Ruddock continues, really, doesn't it? Because I think most people... Would kind of agree with Michael in that he might not be a starter or even in match day twenty threes for Ireland, and yet it would seem based on those numbers that he is absolutely quintessential to Leinster
2: Yeah, he is. He, he's the clue that they're, Look, they're 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 formidable anyway, and and um, a lot of those games they probably would have went out Reese, but that's not um, that's not down to or down talking the the impact I think he has. I think he's a player's player. I think he's um, uh, phenomenally consistent. Uh, Players opposition hate playing against him. He's just so physically strong, and there's a difference between being physically strong and powerful. He, he's just strong. It's kind of a Vermulen type profile in terms of, you know, he's just a, a kind of a rock of a man. And and um, I I do think he's a he's a phenomenal player. I think Leinster missed him um, against La Rochelle. Uh, and but that doesn't necessarily mean that Ireland need to, like he needs to play for Ireland every week. It's just it's just a really tough one. I think his form, you know, means he should be in the Irish squad all the time. But um, is his is his uh, top top end able to dominate as much at international level that still has to be proven but his form has has been outstanding and he is a you know he's probably one of the key men for Leinster you know, again this season. Let's move on to Connacht then, Murray. And there's a good question to kick us off here
1: from Brian Duffy on Twitter. He says, looking forward to another season of the pod, lads. Thank you, Brian. I should have added, edited that part out, actually. But <laughs> he was wondering, how do you rate Connacht's chances heading into a fourth season under Andy Friend? Square looks a little short in some areas. Will they cope? And what will be a successful season for the men at West, he asks.
0: A successful season? They're targeting a home quarterfinal. In the URC, and to be back in that mix would would be excellent for them after a couple of years of, of maybe not making really clear progress. I know behind the scenes they feel that they've moved in a in a certain direction. They're talking about this style of play that they've teamed as fast, relentless, adaptable. That's how they want people to see them on the pitch, encapsulating a bit of that 2016 mentality around tack. The relentlessness of never of kind of never falling out of the fight, and then being adaptable to. How the opposition are are playing, and and that for me is probably the, the key of the three is, like being a little bit more pragmatic at times. They've they've worked hard, they're kicking him. Obviously, Jack Carti and and Conor Fitzgerald have qualities in that area, but there's got to be a nice balance to their game. And the the real word that they should be talking about incessantly is consistency, because that's been the massive thing holding them back over the last number of years, you know, not backing up a really strong performance. I think they're capable of upsetting anyone in this league and, and winning against any side, but your concern is that a week later they're gonna dip off and, and decline. A lot of that is around squad depth and that was our our chat last year. You probably still have similar concerns. They've got the same numbers in, in 43, but Friend believes the, the squad is in a, in a better place in terms of the progression of some of the younger guys there. However, you just have to look at Loosehead. They're due to announce a signing. Um, he spoke on Monday. I think it was Tuesday that Friend said, listen, we're nearly across the line with a Loosehead prop because Buckley is injured into December. Gavin thornbury has got a shoulder injury for for the next couple of months. There are a number of other players like Alex Wooten, Caelan Blade, a host of them really coming into the season with injuries and already you're looking at it and going, they're a little bit threadbare there and and guys who maybe haven't proven themselves in senior professional rugby on a consistent basis need to step up and do a job there. So they've got to be reliant on, on guys doing that and and the people who are maybe not number one in the depth chart realising that their role is, is just as important and that they are going to be the number one at, at stages in the season. So I, I suppose I have my concerns around that and, and until they can show that consistency um, you're not going to be convinced that they can take a next step and, and compete for for a trophy again, which is what they did in 2016. It seems like an awful long time ago now. And it would be nice that the province and, and us didn't have to talk about that as much as the high point, that they kind of set themselves a, a new one uh, under, under Andy Friend.
1: For certain. Is it possible, Bernard, to generate the level of consistency that kind of require... When you are a little bit threadbare, as Murray says, uh, taking into account the injuries at the moment, but even generally speaking, that squad of 43, as much as it might have um, improved on a pound-for-pound level or it might be a better quality squad overall than the 43 from last season, they are still, as Murray points out, light in a couple of areas. It, is, is depth the absolute key to consistency? Is there sort of no way around that in terms of performing consistently when you are a little bit light, say?
2: Yeah, well, look, they need a, they need a lot of luck in terms of injuries. And it's actually going to be more difficult for them this season because there's less clashes with, with international rugby. And obviously now we should have four stronger teams coming into the league and, and four teams that would bring a lot of physicality, um, which is, you know, it drains you and and it obviously can increase the injury. So I think what Connacht needs to get a home quarterfinal um, is a massive, massive year from their coaches um and you know, I'm really excited to see, you know, what Pete, Peter Wilkins does as effectively, you know, him and Dwall Senegal are now kind of senior coaches with DW looking after forwards and and Peter Wilkins looking after um the attack and, and uh with Andy Friend, you know, kind of helicopter view tying it all together and then two young Irish coaches, Colin Tucker, looking after defence and and Mossy looking after the, the skills and, and backs. But I think Peter Wilkins We'll have a re- Peter Wilkins was a analyst in Queensland Reds when I spent uh, some time with him, uh, back in 2000 and uh, maybe 2009, 2010 when they won the when they won Super Rugby with Quade and, and, and Will Genia and he was a brilliant analyst who was doing some coaching on the side as part of his development and obviously came to Edinburgh as defence coach, and then Connor as defence coach and I think he would have a real deep understanding of how you attack effects defence okay and you know a lot of the kind of fans and, and maybe pundits you know are, are, saw kind of shipping um some heavy defeats at times and questioned the the their defense and i had a really good look back at their defense and it, it it's just in terms of system there wasn't a huge amount wrong with it but sometimes they hamper their own defense with their their lack of uh of a really ex- excellent kicking game. And, and just, you know, kicking game isn't just the kicks that, that you know, F- uh, Fitzgerald and Carty do that make highlights view- views, which are, they're, not, they're brilliant kicks, but they're only 15%, or they're only in one area of the field. I felt that their exits were were, were letting them down. They were getting pressure back on top of them, um, again, and having to defend multiple defensive sets. And that basically was what, what broke them uh, most of the time. And obviously they had a, a massive problem with their lineup Maldi um and again if you can't stop line malls um well one if they kick to the corner it's a try but two further up the field teams can milk penalties um that a kick for goal or go into the corner again so that's a huge thing and D-Walt Senegal you know that, I, I think that's going to be his big challenge over the next two or three months is to is to shore that up make sure referees don't feel kind of feel kind of can stop line malls without uh giving away penalties and Stop the opposition from going after that as a weakness quite early doors. So, um, uh, you know, it's a very good coaching team. I think Andy Friend is four year. He knows this group. He knows this league. Um, and I think that their ability to to gel and come up with a really strong game plan week to week. Murray spoke about their game philosophy, which makes sense to me. Um, that's going to be the key to achieving that that quarterfinal. They're probably going to have to coach better than anyone else in the league. Um, to get to quarter quarterfinal, in my opinion, based upon squad depth and probably uh, budget. It's, it's
0: a really interesting chat with Andy Friend every single time. And, and he he spoke at that, what you call the helicopter approach. He had it down as the Gardner approach where he's allowing his coaches to really do their thing. And that's the sense from him in general, even with the playing squad. Like, you think as you go further into it, you get... Closer and closer and you try and micromanage everything. He's actually going the opposite way, even with the captaincy thing. So Jared Butler is no longer the cap, the captain. He's the club captain now. That means that he's obviously the main leader off the pitch, but he's not necessarily going to be the captain every single time they play. And, and that's Andy Friend trying to push through other guys, he talks about the team meetings they have and there's a video analysis point, and they're looking for an answer and he says all eyes tend to go to Jared Butler, but he obviously doesn't want that situation. He wants everyone having their, their own solutions and their own input. So the likes of Paul Boyle, the likes of Jack Carty, um, Tom Daly and Kalen and Blade, those guys being more, vocal is the wrong word, but being more authoritative leaders as well. So he's kind of a little bit, further removed from it but that allows people to take ownership for it and, and drive it on he feels that's what Connick need at at the moment. So you would hope that they embrace that and harness that and it brings out the absolute best on a coaching and playing front.
1: And Birch is dead right, especially with the start of the season, Murray, about the importance of coaches because when you do have the injury absentees that Connacht have, you need to avoid a situation into which they fell through no fault of their own, really. Probably in friends second year, if I'm not mistaken, when if you remember, the start of the season was just absolutely blighted, cursed with injuries to the point that actually... There was such a deficit to chase, I think probably across two competitions if memory serves. Their season almost became a write-off competitively from very early and like, of course they sort of grew into it then and they produced plenty of good performances, but it was sort of like there was nothing to lose. It became nearly a developmental season. You want to avoid that this time around because when you look at that injury list, it is significant. So you've got to stay in it to begin with in order for it to actually be a meaningful season, I think.
0: That's also the strength of the... The, the league now, um, a top eight. You know, there's gonna be battles for that seven, eight, nine, ten position that are gonna be every bit as intriguing as the top four. And and that definitely plays into Connick's hands. Last season, as soon as they announced the restructured format, you know, they're they're finished really. As you say, there was nothing competitively or or in terms of a trophy to, to play for there given the, the fact that Ulster and, or sorry, Leinster and Munster were, were odds-on favourites to, to go into the final. So the format definitely suits them, and I think that's something we should also mention. It's exciting that people are going to be battling for those places in Europe. Obviously, everyone in their own individual regional pool will be battling to be number one there and get that automatic spot, but the top eight is going to be a really interesting part of it, and, and hopefully there'll be more engagement with what the other clubs are doing. We're very insular and have been, like just talking about the Irish provinces, that's our bread and butter, obviously, but... Other clubs and and their fortunes are going to have a big effect on, on those things
1: this season. Yeah, just confirmation coming through there from the big man Bernard Jackman that Andrew Porter will start at one for Lensley this weekend. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah,
2: speculations, speculation. do as Leo would say. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Let's chat a bit. Once to then uh, the fourth province in terms of the order of this conversation. Please don't take any offence to that. We've been on for an hour. I, I think I'm getting tired, but. Uh, I guess when we're speaking about iconic there and you want to avoid having to have some of the same conversations as you had last season, that applies to Munster very much this time around as well, Murray. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think one of the interesting parts of, uh, say, fans' interpretation of Munster this season is when we even put out the call for questions on Twitter or in the members' WhatsApp group, there weren't actually too many questions about Munster because I think everybody knows what they should expect or what they should be capable of and the overall or overarching question is, question is whether or not they can actually do that, whether or not they can actually win a trophy, which is all they want to do. And to be honest, I have no idea what the answer is. Do you?
0: I don't at this age, but I actually think like a little bit, not the opposite of, of what I was talking about with Leinster, but I think there does need to be a more noticeable shift in, in how they go about things. And And by all accounts, that's kind of happening word is that Stephen Larkham has an even greater influence now. He's almost the, the head coach now and, and Johan's almost a, a kind of director of rugby overseeing things. That Larkham's footprint will be more over the team and and we may see slight tweaks in how they approach some of those bigger games because that is the difference. They're an unbelievably strong team. They're so excellent for the course of the whole season as, the, as Johan van Gran is always at pains to point out over 80% win record and they put teams away really intelligently at times sometimes they do play a, a more expansive brand is that that's probably the wrong word but more daring approach and attack and and then it just shuts up shop for those those knockout games and and it's proven now you can't just keep doing that over and over again it's the definition of insanity because it hasn't been working and the most recent one to leinster in that pro 14 final was probably the most dispiriting of the bunch they just didn't fire a shot so i think there's an onus there to really progress that. Um and we won't find out until till later in the season. I've absolutely no doubt that they'll they'll blast through most teams and they'll be in a really good position come knockout time. Um and then we we find out all about them. Um so that's on, on the coaching staff but also the players and, and it's something we've touched on before. There's guys who are another year senior now and still haven't taken that step that you've you've spoken about there. The honest is on them to look at themselves and do something slightly different as well and, and be better prepared to Domination some of those big games it's it's a long way away but there's more than enough quality there as well as some of that young talent Birch mentioned that you would hope now have a, an influence decisively on the squad and aren't just filtered in and out for for the kind of lower profile games there's enough ability there in guys like Ahern and Crowley and a whole host of them to to have an impact on on the senior team so it would be brilliant to see that this season
1: how do you think they're fixed, Birch?
2: I Look, at the, I, I think they should be winning eighty percent of their games um, because they're monster, you know, and they have the um, the history, the the budget, you know, the the players, talent, everything in their favor. And, and okay, didn't have the sixteen man last year because no crowds, but they have, they are, you know, they should be the top table in my opinion. So, um, and. Yeah, I, I, but are they ready to take the next step? I can't say it now because I haven't seen them, haven't seen them play. I'm really, I'm down there for our Saturday night. I'm looking forward to, to seeing them live. Um, uh, they've been very, very consistent. Semi-finals, you know, regularly. It's just that last step, and it's it's a big year. I know there's rumours that Johan and all the coaches are going to resign now, um, but I still think it's a big year for for this group, um, and. Uh, yeah, uh, they'll, they'll be there or thereabouts Are they, you know, but I couldn't say they're going to win a trophy because I haven't seen seen anything and I, I would worry about their front row um, cover, I think uh, again, we mentioned last year, I think Jenkins unless he absolutely pulls up trees, it, it was a foreign player spot, it should, it should have been used elsewhere, when, it, when you see what Alex Kandelan could do, when you see what uh, John Hodnick can do uh, I, I don't think, I think CJ's replacement should have come from you know, uh, one of those young young players, um, and use that foreign player spot for a hooker or or or, or a tight head prop. But um, they have what they have now, and yeah, it's uh, they, Jenkins has got to back, has got to prove his worth to to Johan and who's put faith in him and turn out to be a a real game winner.
1: The front row does seem to be an area, um. Uh, that we probably will come back to Murray Or at least if they do fall short in a similar way To the way in which they have uh, Over the last couple of seasons More than a couple really um, It'll be a conversation again Why Jenkins, why not bolster uh, Your front rope probably at Hooker In terms of just dynamism, ball carrying ability And so on That being said, do you feel that Say the hopeful Eventual introduction of RG Snyman Can counterbalance Say the lack of Explosivity in the front row like does somebody like that actually change things markedly to the point that maybe we don't have to have that conversation if he wants time
0: he's an absolute game changer he was when he signed and I know he's only played seven minutes but he will be and there'll have to be a patience there obviously it'll take time for him to get back after such a long stint and such a, a tough time Um. Just getting back from this It's been really difficult for him Obviously the fire pit incident as well and, and over and back to South Africa Um, So he will take time to get back there But you would hope come the second part of the season When they need that impact He'll absolutely provide it What a gain line merchant Offloading ability He's an X-factor player in the second row Jenkins obviously we spoke with that a lot last season But he's a big robust guy And he, he adds a bit of that tight carrying That they've possibly been um, missing as well So you've got the prospect of even Klein Jenkins Snyman Ty Byrne um, as well as Coombs and Peter O'Mahony and Jack Dunhue, you've got a really powerful unit for, for the back five of your scrum um, yeah definitely the front row has has been an issue Archer and, and Ryan are incredible servants for the province definitely a little bit underrated but the way this game is going you want really explosive carries across that area of the pitch and and Munster will hope that Josh Witcherly and Roman Salanoa, if he can get a bloody injury free run, uh, and Keenan Knox can provide a little bit more of that. But they're obviously early in their development. They haven't played, obviously, Witcherly has, but Knox and Salanoa haven't played in European rugby even at, at this stage. So to expect them to make that kind of impact straight away is, is just, um, it's not going to happen. But there's loads of quality up front. And, and to come right back around Snyman, absolutely. Like he's one of the best locks in the world in the game when he's fully fit and firing. And they'll just be really excited about getting him into the team and back up and running for a semi-final when they're back there again because he's a, a, a real difference maker.
1: Another difference, Bernard, it's almost an obvious one and yet it maybe creeps under the radar a little bit in the Munster discourse is that they hopefully will have a full season with Joey Carberry at QB. And it's an important season for him personally as well. And I don't mean to obviously lump pressure on a guy who is still, relatively speaking, only recently back from a debilitating injury. Also, he doesn't listen to the podcast, so who cares? But like he's 26 in about five or six weeks' time. That is absolutely not old. But he did lose a couple of, say, formative developmental years. Years in which he could have actually uh, brought on his game through minutes alone and just through that big game experience that you would have garnered over that period of time so i don't want to describe it as a make or break year for him but it is going to be pivotal because he's going to need to play consistently well and be the talisman that monster uh, signed him to be this season or else there will invariably be questions towards the end of it at the end of the season particularly when you look at the options they have coming up we think at 10
2: yeah absolutely i, I think he, he should be ready to handle that pressure now um, he's a he's a top top end player. Uh, I think it was great. He got game time at the end of last season. Now he's had a full preseason, and you know he should be very very comfortable in in that Stephen Larkham attacking uh, framework. Um, he has a skill set to to play any type of game. So yeah, at 26 years of age, you know okay, you know he's had he's had enough games uh, and he's shown enough. Um, big game composure in the past to not have any real worries about his mental mental strength so no I would expect him to be a key man and if Munster are going to to win um, you know to win uh, a trophy whether it's Europe or, or, or the URC you know it's hard to see with JJ gone now and, and a, a talented crop of young tens behind him but you would imagine that Joey would have to stay fit and, and be be in top form
1: Right let's wrap boys with a few predictions we'll get some early season incredibly premature Tournament predictions from you. Uh United Rugby Championship Champions from you, Bernard Jackman. Leinster Leinster. Murray? Yeah,
0: same. Sorry, just last thing on Munster. Also Simon Zebo is is back in the province. Worth mentioning. Um because it is going to be exciting. It's going to be really interesting. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting how he how he gets on and has been training the house down by, by all accounts and, and really motivated and taking on a bit more of the, the mentorship side of things and, and working with younger players. So he's obviously keen to get back in the you know, Ireland mix and... We saw in relatively recent times how on the big occasions with Rasting as well, he's a man for those and, and thrives on those as well. And, and that's what we're talking about with Munster, with Snyman. Hopefully Zebo can get back to, to former heights from their point of view and add to that really incredible try scoring record he has. But yeah, I do think Leinster are going to win the, the URC. <laughs>
1: Okay, fair enough. Uh, What about, I know we haven't spoken about Champions Cup, but I know you guys also have an eye on the bigger European picture. Uh, Any standout European sides that maybe we wouldn't have considered contenders last season? Who do you think is going to win that?
0: Toulouse have started the season really strongly again. They're like still a runaway train. So um, obviously they're the ones to beat. Um, But early doors, they look really good. The interesting thing is the first weekend in England, you saw um, Bristol and Exeter both losing and and Saracens—they're obviously not in the Champions Cup, but they looked really strong. So it's early days yet. We've got until what December to come up with our answers for that. So I'm going to sit in the fence for now.
2: <laughs> Based on last weekend, I would say the contenders are all absolutely delighted Saracens aren't in it because they were—they were just back to the the Saracens of old. I know it's only one game, but how they how they went to um, Ashton Gate and just completely uh, shuff or you know. Sh- Snuffled out. Anything Bristol wanted to do was very impressive.
1: Very finally then, a couple of quickfire predictions for this weekend. Let's start with the Ireland women against Scotland. They should win Murray. Will they win?
0: Yeah, I think they'll win, and I think they will win well. Um, obviously, permutations in the other ones matter, but I think they'll produce their best performance.
1: Birch? Yeah, agree. Agree. Super. Connacht away to Cardiff. Murray Kinsella.
0: Oh, haven't seen too much of Cardiff's build-up, but that's a tough away fixture. Um, I'll go Cardiff In a narrow one
1: Birch
2: Yeah Uh, Yeah I'll go Cardiff I think Connacht Connacht have shipped Two big defeats um, And just still Trying to find that balance So Cardiff for me
1: Sticking with yourself Birch Ulster at home To
2: the Glasgow Warriors Yeah Ulster Ulster for sure Ulster with a bonus Murray Yeah Ulster
0: with a bonus Leinster with a bonus Ooh, actually, Leinster. Yeah, Leinster a bonus And I do think Munster will score a bonus as well. Sorry to answer your questions in advance. Yeah,
2: me- <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, and I, 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 I'll double down on those. Before
0: we end up, Gav, I want to say congrats on your excellent interview with Mr. Rock Nation as well. It's made waves and deservedly oh, yeah. so. Really interesting stuff
2: yeah
1: although i teed him up for a skewering on second captain Poor fella. <laughs> Poor Jeez, lad. the lads got very excited <laughs> uh come here boys thanks a million what else do i have to say well we can see both of you on ortiz screens this weekend if i'm not mistaken for which game down at home does it yeah yeah
0: looking forward to it
1: class Looking forward to that myself and thank you to everybody at home for all of your questions in the Members Rugby WhatsApp group. It's members.42.e. If you want to sign up there, you obviously gain entry to the group if you want it, but there are so many offerings. On uh, the homepage, the Long new page, uh, as you'll see it when you go in there. Loads of podcasts, different things. Check it out. It's a five-year-month or, or 42 year for the year, and you're also supporting our independent sports journalism. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all of the rugby over the weekend. It's going to be a good one. We'll catch you next week. Until then, mind yourselves. Take it easy. Okay.
2: Oh. Go. Yeah. All right. Girl, she wanna shop with Jay, play box with Jay She wanna pillow fight in the middle of the night She wanna drive my bands with five of her friends She wanna creep past the blocks, spying again She wanna roll with Jay, chase skios away She wanna fight with lame chicks, blow my day She wanna inspect the rest, kick me to the curb If she find one strand ahead longer than her, She wanna love, love in the jacuzzi, uh-huh, rub up in the movie uh-huh, Access to the old crib, keys to the new. She wanna answer the phone, tattoo her arm That's when I gotta send her back to her mom She called me... Heartbreaker, when we apart it makes her wanna piece of paper Scribble down I hate ya But she knows she love Jay because She love everything Jay say Jay does and uh. oh,
1: you uh,